Okay, so here's my question that I want to start out with uh, you this morning. How many of you have been in a situation that you did not want to be in? <laughs> yes, a couple of you can relate to that. Um, over the past week and a half, I have been in a situation that I did not want to be in because with making the shift downstairs, we were shifting around TVs and I grabbed a TV and was moving it around. And you know, on the box it says two person lift. They don't really mean that, do they? I mean, I, I do that all the time. Well, I think they meant it this time because I have been paying the price for it over the past week and a half because I pulled something or pinched something and I've been in a lot of pain. So if you see me wincing, that's not the spirit moving. It's probably just my back. And uh, if I missed an email or a text from you this week and you didn't hear from me or there was something I was supposed to do this week and I totally missed it, that's why I was writhing in pain on my bed. So uh, give me a little bit of grace and I appreciate that. But yeah, that's a situation that I did not want to be in this week. Now, it's going to make me wiser and there are some other lessons along the way, I'm sure. But, I mean, we all find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in from time to time. Sometimes it's a job that you don't want to be in. Sometimes it's a relationship or certain people that you have to deal with that you don't necessarily want to have to deal with. It could be any number of circumstances. It could be a broken down car, a roommate situation. There are all kinds of situations in life that we encounter that we're not really excited about. And one thing that helps us to get through those is to see purpose in it. Did you notice how when I was talking about my pains, I was saying, you know, I'm sure I will learn from it. What am I doing there? That's just something we naturally do. We look for purpose in the midst of our suffering. We look for ways that God might use it for our benefit. We try to make sense of it in that way. And that's something that's universal and something that I think is actually called for and legitimate. But what if there was a question that you could ask in the midst of that situation, whatever it is, that would help you to discover the purpose in it? What if there was a question that could give you direction about how to approach this situation that you're not terribly excited about and maybe uncover the purpose that God has in the midst of it. Would you be interested in that question? Okay, because I can, I can go lie down if you're not. <laughs> no, of course we are. Of course we are. And that ties into what we are talking about in this series, which we're calling How to Church, where we're going over some of the basics. So I'm going to give you a question that we as Christ followers should all be asking. And the benefit of it is if you ask this question in the midst of each situation that you enter, it will help you to find purpose and what you can do and what your purpose is in the midst of that situation. So that is what we're talking about today, the question that we're asking. And the question is, 
I'll tell you in just a minute. But first off, I want to give you a little bit of foundation because we are talking about um, how to church. So this ties into what's our philosophy. And you might remember that over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the pattern that we are following. And so each of the last two messages plus this one are three parts of the pattern that we are following. And the first one is this idea of knowing. And this is all based on Jesus' pattern of life. And if we are his followers, then we're going to be doing the same kinds of things. We're going to pattern our life after his. And we see that, number one, Jesus had the habit of praying. He was constantly going off on his own to spend time in prayer with his heavenly father, leaning into the relationship that he had with his heavenly father. So we talked about that two weeks ago, and that emphasizes the relational aspect of our faith, that it's a relational faith, that we get to know our heavenly father. And then the second aspect was that Jesus would taught where taught wherever he went, he would teach and he would, people would be amazed by his teaching because it was transformational. And as we learn and as we grow, then we are going to understand more and we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then lastly, we see Jesus going off and praying. We see him teaching everywhere he goes. And we also see him healing everywhere he goes. People would bring everyone who is sick and he would heal them from uh, start to finish. And so we see Jesus healing. This is emphasizing the active nature of our faith. And so the word there for us is that we go, we go, we serve, and we heal. Now, um, we see this pattern, like I said, in Jesus' life. Here's an example from Luke chapter 6. It says, they had come to hear him, that's the teaching aspect, and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. So a couple of things I want you to note about this. Number one is the emphasis was on healing because that was their greatest need. See, this is, we're talking about 2000 years ago. We're not talking about doctors and hospitals. We're talking about a long time ago and it was very, a very different situation. I can't tell you how many times over the last week and a half, I've been thankful for Tylenol and heating pads and ibuprofen and things like that, that even just a couple of hundred years ago, people would not have had to help them through a time like that. But so there was this pressing need And Jesus met that need. And so this first section, I'm going to lay out a couple of foundational truths that will help you understand the question that we are constantly asking and why it's important. And the first thing that I want you to see, this kind of underlying principle, is that crowds came to Jesus because their needs were met by Jesus. Crowds came to Jesus because their needs were met by Jesus, that Uh, that was what drew them. Yes, he was and is the son of God. Yes, he taught amazingly, but that teaching even met needs. And he was meeting their physical needs through healing. So this was an important part. What drew the crowds to Jesus? It was that he was meeting a need, even in his teaching. And so that's what I try to do. When you come, I'm trying to meet a need. And most often it falls under, there's a question that needs to be answered. 
a problem that needs to be solved or a tension that needs to be resolved. And just about any message that you give, you can figure out, okay, he was solving a problem or he was answering a question that people have. And I started out at the beginning of this message, you might have noticed, have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't, you didn't want to be in it and you were looking for purpose? That is a need. That's a question that people have. And so our ministry as Christ followers is meeting needs. And if we focus on meeting needs, then that will draw people. You don't have to try to draw people. You focus on meeting needs and the crowds will come just like they did with Jesus. And that ties into the great commandment. Remember Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he replied to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So the second foundational principle that's behind what we're going to be talking about today is based on that great commandment, that one way to love God is to love your neighbor. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered it with a two-part answer. And I think through that response and through the rest of his teaching as a whole, you see that the point that he's making is that to love God, you love your neighbor. And as you love your neighbor, you are loving God. God. They are one, two sides of the same coin. They are one great commandment. And so when we think about our ministry, then we remember that, that if we want to love God, if we want to fulfill our commission, then part of the ways that we do that is by meeting needs, by loving our neighbor. Because loving God is loving our neighbor, and loving our neighbor is loving God. Now, right after that, the people that were interacting with Jesus ask him, well, okay, so if that's the case, then who is my neighbor? And the scriptures tell us that the motivation for that was to justify themselves. They wanted to say, okay, what check boxes do I have to mark in order to say I've loved my neighbor? And you might remember, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus uh, introduced uh, this passage again and said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And that the, the hate your enemies part wasn't in the scripture, but it was just the logical conclusion that people drew. You know, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, the people that are like me, the people that are alongside of me, but that must mean I can hate my enemies, right? That's, that's how that works. And he, of course, said, no, we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us, and that's how it works. So the, he's asked, who is my neighbor? And in response to that, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And most people will be familiar with that, but the guy comes along. He is uh, attacked on the road, left for dead. A religious person comes by, passes by, or another religious person person comes by and passes by, and then somebody who is from the outsider's class, uh, a despised class, a Samaritan comes by, and he's the one that offers help. And Jesus asks, okay, so you want to know who is your neighbor? Who is acting neighborly towards that man who is attacked? And the reply that was given was this, the one who showed him mercy. And the reason that I highlight that part about showing mercy is that all the people who walked along saw the need, but only one of them did anything about it. And what Jesus was teaching us in the midst of that is that your neighbor, this is how I would put it, your neighbor is the one in front of you with a need. 
your neighbor is the one in front of you with a need. In the Experiencing God study, it says when you encounter something that, uh, when you encounter a need, when you encounter some opportunity to serve, that's God's invitation to join him in his work. And so Jesus is saying, regardless of whether you can relate to that person, regardless if that person is part of your tribe or not, whether that person votes like you or not, whether that person looks like you or not, whether that person is in the same socioeconomic class as you or not, if you encounter someone, you see the one, there's somebody in front of you that has a need that you can do something about, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is the one in front of you with a need. So in light of all of this, that to love God is to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor is to love God, that the neighbor, uh, that your neighbor is the one that, who is in front of you, then how can you, in the midst of a situation that you don't want to be in, that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, how can you discover your purpose in that situation? That's what we're going to talk about today. And all that stuff is foundational as we talk about our purpose. Because what Jesus demonstrated by his pattern of life, praying, teaching, and healing, what he called us to as his followers in loving God and loving our neighbor, what he was teaching us through the parable of the Good Samaritan is that our default approach the question that Jesus' followers are always asking is, how can I help? How can I help? And when you go into every situation, whether you want to be there or not, whether you like it or not, whether you relate to the people there or not, and your approach is, how can I be of service? You're going to be loving God and loving your neighbor. You're going to be loving your neighbor and loving God. You act on that, the one in front of you, the person in front of you that has a need. That's your neighbor. So as Jesus followers, we are always asking, can I help? So I've talked to you about the foundation behind that. I'm going to read a passage of scripture that illustrates it, and then we're going to talk through a couple of the applications that you can make and the primary one under that umbrella is to help without being asked kind of funny we're saying we're always going to be asking how can i help but the application is really how can i help with being without being asked i'm gonna that's going to be my default to help regardless so let's look at this passage this is a, a scene from jesus life and as we said, wherever he went, he was teaching, he was healing, and this is an example where he's called upon to heal. He encounters a need, and he heals. It's in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. Maybe familiar to some of you. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him and through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed." 
Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us exactly what we need to hear from you, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of this, that you will open our eyes to the needs around us and show us what you have placed in our hands that can be of help. And may we participate in the restoration and renewal of all things that starts now, won't be completed until you return, but has begun in us and through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just a reminder that in addition to on-site, it looks like we will be able to stay on this schedule, but you can always check the calendar to see what's going on. Uh, on Demand is available on our website online. It's a little bit different this week because of, as I already described to you, so the, uh, things are a little bit different, but we will continue to do that. And whatever we do, this is how we serve you. We inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And if you haven't already let us know who you are, please do text uh, new to our church number 603-225-2550. And I've started to get some questions about, are we going to return to the offering box and you'll have cards at some point? Yeah, probably. But for now, texting is your best option as opposed to a response card or anything like that. And a reminder that you can use that to submit prayer requests or anything like that as well. So here we are. We're talking about the question that you can ask that will help you discover purpose. Jesus followers are always asking in every situation, how can I help? And in this passage, uh, I want to highlight what's happening with this woman and my kind of overarching premise for that is that healing is wholeness. Healing is wholeness. Now, most of you are not going to be able to go around and just touch people and pray over people and they'll be healed of, of chronic diseases. Hopefully that'll be the case. Maybe that gift of healing resides in some of you. But for most of us, that's probably not going to be the case. So how does that apply? If Jesus was constantly healing, how do we heal? Well, if you... Think about the concept of, you know, when I get better, I'm going to be restored to full motion and full function. I'm going to be whole again. And that's what healing is. It's the process of being made whole. When I was on sab sabbatical several years ago, visiting around different churches, looking at different churches, there was one that described their, their process, their mission as moving people from lost to found to whole. 
And I loved that. I almost copied it. You know, lost to found to whole. I like to copy stuff when I see that it's good. And I thought that was so perfect. And they would they explored that and talked about how wholeness, you know, we want you to be whole when it comes to your finances. We want you to be whole when it comes to your relationships. We want you to be whole when it comes to your relationship with your heavenly father. It's restoring wholeness. And often when I talk about the state of our world, I say it is broken. You know, there's a brokenness in our world. There's a brokenness within us. And when something's broken, it needs to be repaired. It needs to be made whole again. And that's what Jesus does in and through us. He makes us whole. So I want to highlight the transition that this woman went through as she was made whole because of her encounter with Jesus. And I'm only going to look at just a couple of verses, one that describes her condition, a couple that describe her condition, and one that was Jesus' response that shows her transformation and her being made whole. So I'm just going to pick these apart a little bit. It starts out by emphasizing that she's a woman in the crowd that had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the thing that sets the Samaritan, apart from the others that encountered the man who had need, was not their visibility. They saw him. It says that the Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. It wasn't just, oh, yes, I acknowledge that there's a person who's been beaten and left for dead along the side of the road. It was, there's a person that's been beaten and left for dead along the side of the road. How can I help? He had compassion on him. And how do we know he had compassion? Because he actually did something about it, right? And so we encounter this woman, and it says that the defining characteristic of her life right now is that she had suffered for 12 years. She had been suffering for 12 years. The people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis have been suffering, are suffering, Sometimes it's very obvious, sometimes not. A pastor mentor of mine used to say that when you preach, you remember that there's blood in the pews. And what did, what did he mean by that? He mean everybody's got an injury. Everybody's bleeding. So treat them with compassion. And so when we encounter people, that person that cuts you off in traffic that person that's not really nice to you at the store, the, the, the co-worker that's difficult. Yeah, that, I'm not excusing that, but there are reasons behind that. They're suffering. And what we see in Jesus' life when he encountered people who were fallen and broken, his response was, his, his instinct was to respond with compassion instead of condemnation. And I feel like all too often my instinct is to respond with condemnation instead of compassion. What are they doing? What are they thinking? And so that's been one of my constant prayers. Lord, when I encounter people, let my first instinct, let my gut reaction be compassion, not condemnation. Because everybody is suffering. Now, the other thing I want you to note about this passage and this person is that, number one, she was a woman. In the discussion that we were having after church last week, it came up how, uh, how we don't always appreciate the positive perspective 
on women that we find in the scripture because the caricature is that if you're religious, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you have a very, uh, very twisted view of men and women when in actuality that's not the case. But in this time and in this place, to be a woman was to be someone who did not have power, who did not have agency in the culture. So she was already kind of on her own. And then in addition to that, she was suffering with constant bleeding, which means that she was not only looked at as a second-class citizen because she was a woman, but she was also excluded from her community because of her health issue. It meant that she couldn't worship with everyone else. It meant that she would have to separate herself from her community. So this is a person who is on the outs in her community. She's suffering and she's alone. And then it goes on to say, emphasizing her suffering again, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. She went to the people who were supposed to help, supposed to be able to help, supposed to have the resources, insight, knowledge to help, and it did her no good. And I think that's helpful for us to remember because when we are out and about, we're going to encounter people who are suffering and looking for ways to mitigate that suffering, to get past that suffering. And they're looking for and pursuing it in ways that are ultimately going to fail. We might not like the way that they're going about it, but perhaps we can have compassion on them and realize that the reason that they're acting the way they're doing, the reason that they're pursuing the path that they're on is because they're trying to get help. They're trying to get relief. And ultimately, they are not going... What? <laughs> Why? Brian's telling me to back up. Oh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't worry about that. I want to be close to you guys. Um, it, I, I'm like, I, even at the theater, I was always like standing like this on the edge of the stage. I can't help it. I need to be with you. Um, okay, so, uh, all right. And they're going to ultimately fail. They're going to be disappointed. That should give us great compassion for people as well, right? They're going to... It's not going to work. And so we should have compassion. This is what this woman had experienced. She had gone to many doctors and suffered a great deal. It's like you're supposed to be healed when you go to the doctor. Instead, she suffered when she went to the doctor. And it says over many years, over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. So not only was it not helpful, she was being milked of all of her resources and left with nothing. And so it says, but she had not gotten, she had, she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. This was a downward spiral. Can you see the situation that this woman is in? But then here's the pivot point in the story. She had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. 
And you hear the story how she came up behind him and she reached out for the, the, the hem of his garment. Now, there's, there's actually some, some theology behind that because in the Hebrew scriptures, it talks about when the Messiah comes that there would be healing in his wings. And the same word that's used for wings is the word for the fringes of his robe. So the idea came about that wherever the Messiah went, he would bring healing with him. It would trail behind him like the tassels and fringe on his robe. And so the thought was, if you encounter the Messiah and you can touch, you can reach out and grab the fringe, the, the wings of his robe, then you would find healing. And so that's what the woman is doing. She is expressing her faith in who Jesus is, and she is reaching out for help. And as a result, she experiences healing. And the, the, the other verse that I want to kind of just walk through you with you is Jesus' response in Mark 5.34. It says, and he said to her, daughter. Now, before we go past that, remember what we said about who she is? She's somebody who has been, because of her suffering, excluded from her community. Because of who she was and what she was experiencing, she did not have a circle. And in that one word, Jesus is embracing her back into the family. She's saying, he's saying, you have a place where you belong. You belong. You are a daughter. You're not just a woman. You're not just defined by the suffering that you've experienced. You are ultimately, first of all, daughter. And then he goes on to say that your faith has made you well. I just explained to you that her action of reaching out to Jesus in that way was an expression of her faith. She was identifying who Jesus is and saying, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you said you will do. And then it goes on to say, and your faith has made you well. Literally there, it says your faith has saved you. So she has been made well physically, but something more than that is going on as well. You have been made well. You have been rescued. You have been saved. And then he says, go in peace. Shalom. Now, that idea is not just an absence of war and conflict. It really is the idea of wholeness. All that brokenness, all the illness, it's been overcome, and now you will have peace. In fact, you'll be cured of your disease. You'll be cured of your disease. Now, I know that's the English word, but when I was, when I was meditating on that, I, I loved that because it tied into the idea of, of shalom, of peace. Uh, what is a disease? It is dis-ease. You know, when you're, when you're well, you can be at ease. When you're sick, you're never at ease. And he's restoring peace. He's restoring wholeness. You are cured of your disease. And so do you see the contrast of that experience when, the, when this woman, who she was and what she was experiencing, she had heard about Jesus, and now her life is totally different. Wherever Jesus went, 
He brought healing in his wings. Wholeness trailed him wherever he went, like the fringes on his garment. And now we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet in the world today. Wouldn't it be cool if wherever we go, wholeness and healing trailed behind us? That's what we are called to. And that begins with, as it was said here, your faith has made you whole. It, it has saved you. The first step is to make sure that you are a part of the family of God, to turn your life over to Jesus, to say yes to him, yes to his forgiveness so that your past won't chase you down and your guilt can be wiped away. Yes to his lordship, his leadership. He's the boss. He gets to call the shots. And then that sets you on a new path. And so I always make sure to point that out, that this isn't automatic. It is a decision. It is a point in time where you cross from death into life. And as you become a follower of Jesus, then you go on and you start walking in Jesus' path. And you're always asking, how can I help? So I've given you the foundations. I've given you a, 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 a case study in the in the person of this woman, of what can happen as you change from brokenness to wholeness, from death to life. And then you find purpose as you go through your life because you have the same calling to bring wholeness and healing. And so we're always asking, how can I help? And I'm going to give you three places, three ways to ask this. The first thing is to ask others. There was a family that we knew through our schooling connections that uh, she said that she taught her sons and daughters whenever they go over to somebody's house, the first thought was not, you know, how can I be served? What can I have to eat? Where can I get a drink? It was to always have the perspective, how can I help? If you go into a party, how can I help? You're the guest. Well, that's okay. How can I help? And I always appreciated that because it was always asking us, how can I help to recognize that in every situation that you have an opportunity to serve others. You can bring wholeness and healing. You can be a positive influence and have a positive impact by just asking the question, how can I help? So when you go into a situation, part of the thing that will make it bearable, part of the thing that will help you to find purpose in it is to simply ask, how can I help? And sometimes you can actually literally ask others, how can I help? But I find that sometimes the best thing to do is to help without being asked. Because as a pastor, especially, I'm constantly asking people, you know, let us know if there's anything we can do to help you. Let us know if you have a need. Almost never does somebody say, oh, yeah, well, actually, you could do this for me. We don't like to do that, right? We, we don't like to express needs. You know, one of the things that I have experienced over the last week and a half is I had to ask a lot of people to do stuff for me. I don't like doing that. I like to be able to do it myself. And I don't like to have to ask others, but that was something that I had to do. And so we don't like doing that. But if you ask yourself, how can I help? Then sometimes the opportunities will present themselves. It'll be clear to you. Okay, I'm going to ask. I encounter this person. How can I help? Maybe they have an idea. Maybe not. 
but I can ask myself, well, what can I do? What has, what resources has God placed in my hands that would be helpful in this situation? And that reminds me of this verse from Proverbs 3, verses 27 and 28 in the message translation says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Now, that doesn't mean you just help, uh, you just give stuff away willy-nilly. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for someone is to not enable or help them in that situation. Sometimes they don't need help. But if it actually will help them, then never walk away from someone who deserves it. Never, it, it your hands can be God's hands to that person. It goes on to say, don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. Now, here's the situation. Something, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's your resources. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's your skill. Sometimes it's your availability. There's something in your hand. It's right there. And when you encounter someone who has a need and you can do something about it, that's God's invitation to join him in his work of restoring, redeeming, rescuing, and healing. So we ask others, and sometimes we just ask ourselves, what can I do to help? And then you ask the Lord. Sometimes you, you don't have an idea, but this is where we go back to the pray, where we lean into our relationship with the Lord. Lord, I see this situation. I don't know what I can do. How can I help? And he will tell you. He'll show you. And sometimes he's going to help you. You ask the Lord for his help and he will help you. Sometimes he will give you an insight. Sometimes he'll meet a need through somebody else. But have you, whatever situation you're facing, have you asked the Lord for his help? So today we've talked about, we've talked about purpose. We're also talking about serving and we're asking, how can I help? And the thing that you can do is whatever situation you find yourself in to help without being asked and just keep serving, keep loving, keep pouring out, keep having eyes open and ears to hear and hands that are available and quick to obey. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to be your hands and feet in our world. And our natural tendency is often to just focus on ourselves and what we want and our comfort or discomfort. And Lord, you have a bigger purpose in mind for us. So I pray, Lord, that each one of us will have this as kind of our default setting. How can I help in every situation that we encounter? and that we will trust you, lean into you, depend upon you to resources, strengthen us, and give us the insight that we need and the courage to act accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.